Side one is calm, non-abusive, although highly fragmented. Side two is schizophrenic. Welcome to episode 2 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. This week, fresh from their victory over Vancouver, we head down to Chivas and speak to the new signing that Shellis has snapped up from Mexico. Still winless in MLS action, we catch up with Siggy Schmidt to ask what he needs to do personally to turn Seattle Sounders' season around. <laughs> And after another defeat for Scotland by Wales in the World Cup qualifiers, Paul Ritchie tells us about the mysterious absence from Whitecaps training of Carl Robinson. Because the world is better off with four fewer Welshmen! I'm your host, Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And you're listening to There's Still Time. Well, the Whitecaps lost on Saturday to Chivas. Who saw that coming? Well, pretty much most people, really. The way that Chivas have been playing this season, I had them going into the game as favourites, and that's how it turned out. Whitecaps went down to a 2-1 loss, and they played pretty poorly in, in stages of the game. Especially defensively, once again, the awareness factor wasn't there, they weren't marking up. Allowed a really, really soft goal, which they should never have done for what proved to be Eric Avila's winner. Looked not bad when the substitutions were made. Kenny Miller, Eric Hurtado definitely put a spring back in the white cap step. Probably should have got a draw if Kikuta Mane had had better control as he tore through in the in the closing stages of the game. So disappointing really to go down 2-1. What did you make of this Shiva's game, Steve? It was a pretty significant regression, I think, from the week before when they lost to Houston 2-1. Their midfield was just non-existent especially Kofi, who again disappeared for a second straight, actually more disappeared even more. Davidson had a poor game in front of the back four, turned his back, like Randy said, at the worst moment, which caused a deflection. Um, he had a part in the second goal too. The, that way, essentially, the attack was non-existent. Camilo, who, who good, looked good in the two substitutions, just didn't have any touches on the ball. I don't know if you want to blame that on midfield or... Uh, his lack of drive. Maddox, who took like six shots on goal, six shots, but not one on target. That was an issue. And the defending had the, had problems keeping its shape. So those were the significant things I saw about that. I especially was disappointed by that second goal 
And a lot of people are blaming Rochad for, uh, you know, playing tight against Rusin and Eric Avila coming in and scoring that goal. But a lot of blame has to, because he was a wingback, essentially, uh, the wide player. A lot of that responsibility also comes to Kofi, who did make a late run but couldn't get there in time. And also Camilo, who was not even in the picture at that moment and didn't even, I guess, didn't even notice the run or whatever. And especially coming off a free kick, because the free kick, uh, you should, you should be back in your position. You, ha- you should have a shape. And they, off that free kick, they had looked like they had no shape at all. The attack, uh, we were talking about the first 60 minutes. The attack itself, the improved, I think, not only because Camilo, I mean, uh, Camilo was substituted out, uh, and in the inserted Kenny Miller and, uh, Eric Hurtado with their pace on the wide side, but I think moving Kobayashi centrally, also helped the team, and I think he was able to pick apart the Chiefs' defense, and so that was a, one of the major significant things I see, and hopefully it translates over to that next San Jose game. The defense have certainly been disappointing. Just the lack of awareness, like I was saying earlier, the fact that they just don't mark up, they just seem to just seem to fall asleep and drift off during games. I guess the one plus point that we can take from the match is that the Whitecaps created 22 chances. For an away game, Considering how they've been playing recently in away games, that that was just tremendous. I like how the Whitecaps are playing on the road this season. One of the questions which I posed on my post-game article on AFTN was, is it the tactics that Martin Rennie is playing that is struggling to get the wins in the away games? Or is it the personnel that he has on the field? And my feeling is that it is the personnel. I think the attack and play is the way that it should be. 22 chances, 6 on target you're not going to win games on the whole like that, especially against the the decent teams. But eventually you have to think that these chances are going to come and hope that at some point someone is going to be able to finish them. If it's not Dan Maddox, he's going to need to be rested. Could a a Corey Herzog be put in there and maybe play the poachers role and get some of those chances and and put some of them away? We'll just kind of have to wait and see what's, what's going to happen. Really tough game coming up at the weekend though with San Jose. Just above us in the Western Conference standings just now. I'll, anything from this, a win would be great, but anything at all, and I'd, I'd be really, really happy. I'd mentioned when you look at the away fixtures that are coming up between now and the end of July, it's really, really hard to see where any away points are going to be coming. We've got visits to LA twice, we've got Real Salt Lake, we've got Dallas, we've got DC United, San Jose, Seattle. Tough, tough games. Could we be looking until the Portland game at the start of August before we actually get a win, maybe even points from these away games? I mean, who knows? We've, we've done well against San Jose last year. But, I mean, are you expecting much from the San Jose game? Do, do you expect to see any changes to the starting lineup from what we saw at Shivas at the weekend? I think the San Jose game will be difficult, especially if they don't correct their problems of allowing goals coming in from crosses. Because San Jose are pretty good at sending in crosses and connecting on those, especially last year. When you look at the three, four goals they have allowed during this road trip, during the two games before, three of them have come from crosses, either two of them from open play and one from a corner kick. So the, essentially they have to definitely work on their marking in the box and maintaining shape so they don't get any open play crosses. Lineup changes... I personally would make two lineup changes. I don't know if Rennie will. Um, I would put Hurtado and Miller in and take out Camille and Davidson. 
Essentially, what I would do is I would put Maddox in the middle with Miller and Hurtado on either side, put Kobayashi right behind Miller, and then play Kofi and Rio Coker as the two holding, keep the back line the same, obviously. Goalkeeping could be Cannon, could be Knight, that's up to them. I, I think he will go with Cannon because he's, uh, he's returning to his stomping grounds in San Jose. So essentially, that's where I see the lineup going. I don't know how, what they're going to do with uh, the game against San Jose, but I, I, I see them definitely playing better compared to last week in Chivas. I don't know if it was uh, they did not respect Chivas in, in the game or something, or they weren't prepared for it, but they've had game games against San Jose last season, um, two wins and one loss, and the one loss was only because of basically a 10-minute period where they allowed um, the three goals against. I definitely see them doing better than last week but again i hope best result i think is a draw at this point especially the the way the last two weeks have gone yeah i agree with those changes i think if we could have miller and hurtado in at the start it would work really well my only real concern with taking davidson out he did play really poorly against shivas as folk will know i've been quite a, a big advocate of him this season i thought he's done really well thought we missed him last season when he fell out of the first team lineup with not being there to track back and that would be my concern with Kofi and Rio Coker I'd maybe even also rest Kofi because I think Kofi's just been playing terrible the last couple of games and I wouldn't mind maybe seeing Matt Watson in there he could play that DM role provide the cover to Lee provide the cover to Rashad but also actually give us a little bit of an attacking edge like we saw in the playoff game against LA like we've been seeing in the reserve games that he's played. And I feel Martin Rennie makes a big deal about the guys that do well in training, that do well in the reserve games. They should get their chance. They should be rewarded. Well, Russell Tiber, Matt Watson, Greg Lazura as well, they've all been doing really well. Corey Herzog's another one. They've done well in these reserve games. And at some point, these guys need to get a shot. They need to get their chance. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting on the bench and just wondering, what's the point? Why are we here? doesn't matter what we do. We're not going to get in the first team, no matter how bad the, that the guys are playing. Now, one of the things I'd mentioned in my post-game article on AFTN this week was the spell of away games that are come up for the Whitecaps, the next away games between now and the end of July, is quite a scary batch of games. We've got the San Jose this weekend, we've got LA twice, we've got Seattle, we've got Dallas, we've got Real Salt Lake, we've got DC United coming up. It could realistically be that we don't get our first away win of the season until maybe into August. I'm looking at the August 3rd game at Portland. Who knows how that goes considering how we've played in Cascadia derbies. But on paper just now, that looks like the easiest game. That looks like the game that we could maybe get our first away win. If we can get anything, any points at all from these next away games, I'd be really happy with that. What that means though is we really have to do the business at home. We have to get wins. We can't even afford draws at home. If we want to be in the playoff mix come October, we have to be getting three points on the board in our away games. That's pretty much going to be crucial. So we'll see how it goes on Saturday against San Jose. As I said, I'm not expecting too much out of the game, but we'll we'll review that in next week's show. Now moving on from the MLS Whitecaps to a Whitecaps team that actually did win at the weekend, and that was the residency under-18s who beat Seattle 1-0. Yassi Nessa scored the only goal of the game and it was a fantastic win that put the Whitecaps U18s back at the top of the Northwest Division. We caught up with residency under-18s head coach Gordon Forrest after the game and had a chat about the match against Seattle, how the residency programme has done this season, what players to look out for and a little look ahead to the playoffs. 
So we've got that coming up in a few seconds, but just to warn you in advance, the sound quality isn't fantastic. We were in the middle of Newton Athletic Park, there was soccer showcases going on round about, wind sprang up, so a little bit of background noise, but hopefully that isn't going to spoil the enjoyment of the interview too much. So have a listen. Well, thanks for joining us, Gordon. Um, first thing I ask you, it was a great 1-0 win over Seattle there. What did you think of the game? Yeah, I thought it was a, you know, a real great performance from our, our players. I think going into the game, um, you know, we spoke about the, the sort of rivalry between the, the clubs and it filters down into the, the younger age group. So, you know, from that point of view and a development point of view, it's a, it's a great challenge and an experience for these guys, you know, preparing mentally to come into these situations. Um, there was some, in, from both teams, there was some great play, especially in the first half. Uh, we managed to get the goal in the second half, a great finish uh, from Yassine, who had a, you know, a really good game. And then, you know, it was about um, organising and, and holding on because we knew they would put us under pressure. But, you know, the pleasing thing is, and, and it's fantastic as well, was, uh, you know, the supporters groups that, that come and watch the game as well. And the, the players love it. It drives them on. There's a great feel about it. And they've got to learn how to, you know, play under under that pressure as well of the supporters singing and cheering and they just thrived on it as well so in, in terms of going forward for this group um, it, was, it was a real good day for their, you know, their learning Now the, you, you've been here like six or seven months so far how have you found it so far? What do, what do you think of the whole setup here compared to what you've been used to in Scotland and New Zealand? Yep, there's, there's obviously differences uh, differences between uh, you know countries I've been in and, and countries I've, I've visited as well but you know one thing for sure is that the, you know, the club have a passion and vision to to develop young Canadian players to to potentially play in the first team. So I mean that's one of the reasons why why I made the move here and I've got got involved here and uh, and it's great that the club are going down that route. Uh, for me there's difference in the you know the culture, there's difference in little bits of the style but you know we're all driving towards that, that end goal and as we said before is to try and get these boys in the first team. So you know hopefully we're creating that um, you know that positive environment that they come in and enjoy. Uh, playing for the white caps, but then you know we've got them in every day. We're working with them every day. And we're trying to do our best with the contact we do have, uh, and we're going to have even more contact with them when we move to UBC, which is going to be fantastic. So I can only see the the program developing and developing even even further. So yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I was going to ask you about UBC. The the residency is meant to move in there August or September. Yeah. What's that going to mean to these players training in the same facility as the yeah. first team, seeing everyone round about them? It's great, and you know, and I think a lot of teams across the world will try and create that environment where the, the first team's there, the reserves there, the 18s, the 16s, even the younger ones. So it's going to be a, a longer transition or a bit of a transition, but once it all comes together, you know, the positives for, for me is that um, you, know, you could potentially have the first team training on the field next to the, the U18s. If they need an extra player, they can drag them across. They'll be mixing with these guys. The guys can give them advice. They'll be looking up to these. So there's a million and one different uh, things that we can think on, on the positive positive side uh, 
they also with the transition to, to UBC is that um, we're hopefully going to schedule it that we've got more contact with the player which is great so not just one session a week we need two or three sessions uh, a week whether it's on the field or in the classroom or discussions or physical it's going to give us hopefully this opportunity to, to schedule even more it's going to take time but you know we've got a vision there and a goal that we're trying to reach and uh, with that move then hopefully it'll all come together yeah. now the, the 18s are sitting at the top of the, the conference now or the division now and the playoffs are coming up in a, in a few weeks time are, are you looking ahead to that or are you not counting your chicken uh, again, from from our point of view, and then you know, this has been being honest is that our real focus is on developing these guys as individuals to, to get in the first team uh, but what we do have you know, around that is we've created this positive environment and culture with this group uh, with all the groups that uh, and the stuff we're working on in training if we do the right things, we do it properly we work on the right things and you can see that we're, uh, we can potentially get the results from it as well so it's a, a win-win situation um, so the guys, yeah, they're, they're in a good space they're doing well, as I say we won't uh, we won't focus too heavily on that. The players know about that. They've got that. They've got that about them. They'll speak about it. But it's down to our job as a as a club and coaches to direct them in the the right way, put them in the right frame of mind, and uh, yeah, keep working away. If we reach the playoffs, we do well in the playoffs. Then then that's all positive as well. But we'll do the right things around about that to to hopefully bring that that alive first and foremost. Now, obviously there's a lot of travel in this league because yep. you're going down to California and, and all mm-hmm. over the place what do you think that does to these players like setting them up for a future professional career yeah and I think especially in the MLS and you know on the road is, a, is one of these contentious you know discussions on you know how the players travel how do they feel when they travel how do they play when they travel how do they change to the different time zones heat etc so for me it's a fantastic uh, experience for the guys you know we're in the bus we're in the playing, we've got time with them, we're in the hotel we'll prepare them hopefully the same way as the first team prepared for the uh, the game, so it's uh, and again for their development and their growth then it's, um, it's it's really 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 beneficial for them yeah. So just the last couple of things uh, Brody Hutema has been out yeah. recently with, with an injured wrist, what, what's the latest on him, when's he maybe due back? Yep, again we've we've, uh, we've not got a, an exact time scale on him but it's something that he's, he's had to do to get the wrist or the injury fixed and put in a Put in a cast, so you know. Again, first and foremost, the player's health uh, at this age comes, or any time, but it comes. Uh, it comes there, and he's doing his best now. It'll give him an opportunity to really come back, you know, even physically stronger than he already is. Again, you know, we've got a, a good group of players who are working hard. We do, you know, we miss Brody as well, but it could be one of these key things when he's ready. He's going to come back nice and lively and keen to to fit into where wherever we're going to be. So yeah, and it's good as well because it's showing it's not just a one-man team, and you're 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 getting results with these other players and yeah. I mean that's always good now last thing to ask you obviously I think there's five or six players away with the under 17s yeah. with Canada mm-hmm. how, how does how does that affect the programme and, and how important is it to get these guys called up yeah I think the way that uh, I would put it across that we can put across it, it can only be a positive thing for their development and um, they're going to get the opportunity to represent their country they're going to experience playing against different countries cultures and different zones as well uh, and you know hope from that they come or they learn from that and then they can come back and use that in their game and for us to take forward with the white caps uh, the other side of that is, is it means that you know we'll lose them for the, the following week against Portland but you know it gives other players an opportunity it, it will now 
would probably mean that we move some of the younger, even the younger ones up, because just now in the 18s, uh, you've got to remember we've got Comse, Bustos, uh, Chow, Haynes, Carducci. I mean, they all can still play under 16s, but they're playing in our under 18s. Uh, and then from our under 16s, you know, the majority of that team are, are 1998, uh, which is which is good for the club. Although they're maybe not, you know, picking up the the result focus, they're still playing in an environment where they're developing, and they've got a few years of that under 16s level as well. So again, as a club, we, we deal with that. We'll prepare the guys best we can for, for what we need to do, but in terms of going away on the national side of things, it's all good for, for young players' development. Yep. Well, that's great. Thanks for joining us, Gordon, and good luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, no problem. Obviously, I'm always going to enjoy having a chat with Gordon, XC's five player, XC's five coach. We've got a, a lot of stuff we can talk about from his Bayview days. But from a white cap point of view, he's come in just now to the white caps. He took over the under 18s when they'd had a bit of a struggling start to the season with all the, the transition from last year. The new guys had come in, the players that had moved up from under 16 level. And he's really turned the team around. They've only lost three games since he's officially been in charge of the team, unbeaten in the last five, now sitting top of the Northwest Conference and looking really good for the playoffs. So, I mean, it, it's been going really well under him. Have you noticed many changes yourself, Steve, in the way that the team's been playing since Gordon took over? Well, unfortunately, we haven't had too much of a sample size so far this season uh, with the the U18s and the U16s playing under fours, uh, mostly because of the fact that, you know, the game majority of games have been on the road and even some of the home games have been across the border in Bellingham. So um, I haven't noticed too much of a change. I think it's more of the same style that we saw last year. The one thing I, I, th- I think will happen is that change will occur probably next season um, due to the fact that they are moving uh, and they'll have more sessions like uh, uh, Forrest said. And I think also... Um, having that full preseason under, uh, you know, his tutelage and seeing exactly what he wants to install in the system and everything, I think that will have a major effect too. So I think I think the changes in style and tactics and everything, I think that you'll see more of that next season. Now, one thing we did talk about in the interview there was the the struggles that the under sixteens have had. A lot of the under-16 team have moved up to play at under-18s. Gordon saw a lot of potential with the guys and decided to move them up now, so he's got longer to work with them. And it has meant that the under-16s have struggled a bit this season. They've been left a little bit short. They had a pretty good first half against Seattle on Saturday there, even though they lost 3-1, they took the lead. Jordan Haynes got the goal, one of the players that has moved up from under-16 to under-18 for most of the season. And with these guys moving up, what it's meant is a lot of the 14s and the 15s are playing in the under-16 team now. And it's been a challenge, but do you think that from moving these guys up that the under-16s are going to benefit next season from being thrown in at the deep end the way that they have this year? I think it's gonna, it's a fine line as to the kind of effect it's going to have on the young players. Um, uh, the positive is going to be that they 
will have a full year of U16 play, uh, basically by the time they turn 15. And I think that will be a positive because some of the some of the teams that will be in the U16 will have players that have never even experienced it before. So that will be a big positive. I think a a negative could be that the constant losing and not being able to finish and you know play well and you you see the scoreboard and you see that you're you're losing every match and everything that could have a negative effect mentally but i am sh- i'm 100% positive that these guys are letting them know that you know not to worry about the results and to just continue playing the way they should be playing so I do think uh, in the play itself, it will have a leg up. It's just a matter of who it affects mentally. Well, let's hope so, and good luck to both teams for the rest of the season. Both the under-18s and the under-16s have seven games of the regular season still to play. This Saturday, they're both down in Portland. With all the call-ups to the Canadian team and injuries and just general happenings that happens at a football club... The Whitecaps only have 10 of their regular under-18s making the trip to Portland, so they, as Gordon alluded to in his interview, he's going to have to kind of really call on the under-16s again to kind of boost that squad. So they finished this season with six home games, starting on April 21st, it's a Sunday. 12 o'clock kick-off is under-18s against San Juan Soccer Club. Under-16s will follow that. Then there's home games against De Anza 4, Santa Cruz Breakers, San Jose Earthquakes, Cal Odyssey, rounding off with a game against Crossfire Premier on the 1st of June. And then 18s will hopefully be in the USSDA playoffs. So if you can, get out, see these guys and just support the future. This is the future of the Whitecaps. It's the future of football for a lot of the Canadian teams. And it's a chance to see some really good action and just see these guys at an early age and when you're seeing them playing for first teams you'll be like you know what I was at Newton that day when he scored that hat trick and above all else the players really appreciate the support uh, as Gordon told you there and we want to wish all the best as well to the five Whitecaps residency guys that are currently down with the Canadian men's under 17 team ahead of the CONCACAF under 17 championship that's taking place in Panama which begins on April the 6th. Kian's Froze was down with them as well, but unfortunately he's got an injury that's ruled him out. So the five white caps that are down hoping to represent Canada are goalkeeper Marco Carducci, defender Alex Comsia, midfielders Jordan Haynes and Marco Bustos, and striker Matthew Chow. So good luck to the five of them. Do yourselves proud, do the white caps proud, and do Canada proud. And remember, if the kids are united, they will never be divided. Can't beat a bit of Jimmy Percy and Sham 69. I think one thing which a lot of people are united about is their thoughts on how surprising the first month of the new MLS season has been. Been a couple of big surprises. Shivas doing so well in the West. 
Dallas are topping the West. Montreal are topping the East. You've got Seattle winless. Portland winless. Who's going to be the first one to to break their cherry? Could Seattle still be winless by the time we play them in June? Well, we can hope, but it's probably going to be unlikely. As for the Whitecaps, it's been a, a mixed month, I think we can say, so far. Started off great with two home games. Fell off the, the rails a little bit in the last two away games. But what April bring? We'll soon find out. From looking back on, on the first four games and the, the first five weeks of the MLS season from a Whitecaps point of view, Steve, how do you think the month of March has gone for Vancouver? I think the first month for the Whitecaps have been a mixed bag of positives and negatives. Um, it started off well um, after the first half of TFC. They really dominated them in the second half. Second game against Columbus, I think they should have won by um, a larger margin than the 2-1 victory they had. Against Houston, a couple of breakdowns uh, that could have been avoided. Who knows, there could have been a result there. They also missed on a couple of opportunities. Uh, the Maddox shot in the second half. The Chivas game, that one, I personally think was a disaster. They they did well in the last 30 minutes, but that could have been also Chivas playing back. So I think, you know, they need to tighten up, I think, a little bit more on the back end. The midfield needs to, you know, play much better than especially against the last game. And I think they just need to finish their attacks. I know that's obviously, you know, obvious things to say, but if they could do all those things... I think uh, this team has a chance to do something going forward in the MLS season. Off the pitch, I'd like to mention that they, I, I think a big positive for, about this first month is the number of reserve games. They are playing, uh, I think the reserve team has actually played more games uh, in this first month than uh, the first team has. So I think that's a major positive. I think the, you can see it in their play. I know they're playing against subpar uh, competition. But especially in the last game against uh, Fraser Valley, they won six one. But you could definitely see them playing better. You can see some like guys like Tybert are taking command of the game, looking much more comfortable in the midfield. His he scored a goal, but even his assist when he ran past the defender, picked up the ball basically on the end line, and then crossed it over for an easy you know header by Heinemann. I think that was a you know, you could see something there that maybe he can get into this lineup uh, instead of just sitting in the 18 that he's he, he's made so far. But I think he can contribute in the lineup as well. So the first month, again, positive negatives, but they definitely a lot of work to do going forward. Oh, for sure. And I, I think by the end of April, we're going to have a much better idea what kind of Whitecaps team we're looking at for 2013. Is it going to be a team that's challenging for not just a playoff spot, but possibly deep in the playoffs or is it going to be a team that's maybe going to miss out this year maybe even go a bit backwards next few weeks next few games are they're going to be quite telling so let's turn our attentions away from the white caps and mls for a bit and look further east to fc edmonton Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. 
Now Edmonton are kicking off their NASL season on Saturday with an away game to Fort Lauderdale Strikers. They spent the past week and a bit in the lower mainland with some training games and a training camp, enjoying the sun in, in the Vancouver area and kind of making the most out of their last few days before the, the new season kicks off. One of the games was against the Whitecaps Reserves last Tuesday and after the match we caught up with Colin Miller just to have a chat about what the new season might bring for Edmonton and for him himself. Now we were originally going to run that interview in our West Coast Soccer podcast but some technical difficulties meant that last week's podcast never got published so we thought well why not use it in the AFTN one instead so that's just what we've done. Now, one of the first things we wanted to know from Colin was just what did he make of the game against the White Caps, which resulted in a 4 2 win for the Caps? Uh, two different halves, in all honesty. I thought it was uh, a possession clinic for the White Caps in the first half. Uh, created a few chances for about a five minute spell. Um, it's our first outdoor 90 minutes, really, in all honesty, so we're, we're not expecting uh, miracles but uh, the well-chosen words at half-time. You could see a response and a reaction to the guys and uh, very pleased with lots of aspects of the second half. That's what we'll be building on, learning from the horrendous defending uh, in at least three of the four goals, uh, schoolboy defending at times. But uh, overall, pleased, touch wood, we've had no injuries. Uh, we've got five first-team players missing at the moment, which would affect most clubs. And certainly one with a squad our size. Um, so we're hopeful that we'll get one or two of those bodies back by the end of the end of this week and possibly before we play against uh, Fort Lauderdale on the 6th of April. I think lesser groups possibly would have laid down and just accepted getting a, getting a pacing from the Whitecaps because they're, they're, they're good players. They're a good, fantastic club, big club. And uh, But I, I just praise the guys for their reaction to some bad words said to them at halftime. And, and that was just a baby uh, bad word session. So they, uh, they're they well aware now that, that we want to set standards and we don't want to peak here today. We want to be ready by April the 6th, which is understandable. So uh, it was great. We've got a very young team with one or two senior guys. And the quicker our younger guys can get educated, young Canadian guys, which is obviously a bonus. And uh, make no apologies. I think we've got 15 or 16 Canadians in the group. And uh, that's exciting. There's some that are uh, not selected today. We've got a young youth international uh, who didn't play because he's just suffering a little bit of an injury at the moment. And getting him ready to go to the Under-17 World Championships with Sean Fleming is very important to me as a Canadian and I'm sure important to Sean Fleming as well. So uh, overall, very pleased. There's one or two changes that we're hopefully going to be able to make before the start of the season. But uh, where we're at at the moment, fitness-wise, attitude-wise, the players have been a credit to the club. Uh, we're, we're working on a daily basis on a certain thing to do against the Whitecaps, so uh, this was just about the result. Sure, uh, nobody hates getting beat more than I do. My stomach's bubbling inside, I'm not angry, but um, it, it's, it, it's not important. I'd rather get beat today than win the Amway games, to be honest with you. So we know that there's real quality in the Whitecaps side. We know that we will have to be at our very best if we want to be successful over the two legs. But I tell you, it's not impossible. It's not impossible with a manager who believes and we can get the players to believe in it uh, as well. They'll be fitter. You know, they'll, have, they'll be have five more games or six more games between now and then. 
and uh, so our guys will be fitter and, and hopefully a bit sharper, game sharper than they were today. How much of a disadvantage is it facing Vancouver just three weeks into your season when they've had a lot more time to prepare? Yeah, it's a great question, but you know we have to play them at some point, and it's just the way the league schedules are. I think it suits everyone, uh, or certainly it's the way the MLS probably wants it. Um, but ideally, we'd love to have a few more games under our belt before we play them. But it is what it is. It's our job to prepare them as uh, our lads as best we, we possibly can. So we're not going to make any excuses. It, it is what it is. It's a fantastic two-game fixture to look forward to. Hopefully we get a big crowd supporting us in Edmonton. There's uh, talk of a big, healthy crowd at Commonwealth Stadium. Hopefully the slow is long gone by then. But, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't help us the fact that we have to train indoors to this point here. So when we trained on Friday, that was our first outdoor session uh, that we've had. So some fresh air about us out in Langley, which was great. So yes, we're behind eight ball already, even with the NESL clubs, because of our climate and because of the facilities that we have. Did we mump and moan about it? No, but it's, uh, it is what it is. We have to get on with it, and they don't allow the players to drop their heads or, or, or make excuses. This is what it is. We've got to prepare them as best as we possibly can. And do you pretty much have your mind made up what your starting eleven is going to be, or is there still a lot for these guys to play for in the training camp? Yeah, no, there's still a lot to play for. We're going to make one or two more changes, hopefully, between now and the Whitecaps game and uh, we're working on that uh, starting today uh, it just again reassured uh, some of the things that I was concerned about so it'll, uh, those changes hopefully will happen uh, within the next couple of weeks The NESL season it's really strange because it, it splits in two yeah. how are you going to manage that as a club and do you think it's good for the league to, to have something as innovative as that? Well, it, uh, I think there's pros and cons to the, the way that the league is set up. Pros being that if you've got um, injuries and you've got players that are not quite ready to come back in again, then that month break in between will give you a chance to clear some of those injuries up. The cons are if you're on a good run. Um, it's unlike a league anywhere or most in most countries in the world where it continues, where as if you're at the, if you're at the top of your league, you're in the final. But if you're at the bottom of the league and, and you're miles away, do the players lose interest and all that? So I'm, I wouldn't say I was jumping through hoops about the, the setup in the league. I would continue. I don't mind if there's a break in the middle, but keep the league going, you know, rather than starting from scratch again. But that's only Colin Miller's opinion. That's nothing to do with FC Edmonton. That's only my opinion on the in the situation, guys. So, um, and, and I'm, you know, playoffs in North America are, are the sort of norm. Uh, there's no playoffs this season so it's it's shit or bust really in all honesty to, during the course of the season so you've got to we've got to produce a second half performance over 90 minutes and hopefully defend much better than, than the schoolboy stuff you saw there so um, but yeah there's good good points and bad points you can obviously change your squad in the middle of the season as well but I'm I don't want to have wholesale changes every year I want to try and develop a club with a with a with a club culture there um, you know, some clubs in North America want to have 19, 20 different players every season. I'm not a big fan of that. I think if you do your recruiting and you do your job properly, you won't need to do that every single year. So Would you be worried about like the crowds if, if Edmonton don't get off a good start, and then the fans feel there's not a lot to play for for the rest of the season? Would you be worried that the crowds might be hit because they, they just see it as meaningless games because of the league format? Yeah, yeah. no, that's a, that's sure that's a possibility, but. A, 
I suppose the same could be said if you're out of the playoffs. You know, is there any need to go and watch those games? But true fans will come and watch their team anyway. I would like to think so. Uh, I'm hopeful that our fans, uh, certainly my experience in Edmonton playing with the Canadian national team, uh, the soccer fans there were, were fabulous. You know, very supportive, very pro-Canadian, and they'll see how hard this team is going to work. And uh, I think they'll get right behind us. I think we'll be once we get one or two things fine-tuned. I think we'll be. A good side to come and watch. Okay, you're um, welcome. Can I just ask you about Gagan Desange? Yes. Um, is he training with you this week, or can I saw him up the back of the stage? Yeah, he's just there. Place. Yeah, Gagan's one of my old players from uh, the Abbotsford Soccer Association. Was very much, uh, uh, well, for me, I, I love the wee guy. I think he's fabulous. I think he's got a terrific side to him. I think he's all football, and I think he would he would have added something there to us today for sure. Um, he has good quality, good athleticism for being a, a smaller player but I'm, I'm excited about seeing him play for us tomorrow he'll train with us for the rest of the week we'll play against UBC here again on Friday and the wee bugger will play against us on, on Friday but he's also for me a credit to the Indo-Canadian community in Abbotsford, I've used Gagan as a major role model within our city uh, it's where I live is Abbotsford and, and uh, he's, he's a great example as was Jason Gill who was a captain of UBC here as well so the Abbotsford Soccer Association over the years have given, and even Graham Smith before that, who was the captain of UBC, the Abbotsford Club has provided a number of players for UBC, so there's a bit of history there between UBC and the Abbotsford Soccer Association. You were speaking about culture before, and coming into this season, considering how much they struggled last year, uh, how important and how difficult is it to change the culture in just a quick off-season like this? That, that's going to be the difficult thing. To develop a culture takes time. Um, and and I'm hopeful that we'll be given the time uh, to do that. But we've we've planted some real positive seeds with the players here that they they understand they've got a manager who cares very much about the game, cares very much about the game in Canada, that wants a certain men- mentality to the game. I don't want my team just to smash the ball up the park and give the ball away the way we did in the first half. I want us to try and play a bit of football. So that takes a bit of time to get the manager's beliefs throughout the club from our youth all the way through and we've we've made some terrific strides forward it's a positive environment at the club and the players you know they, they'll be disappointed about today because they've certainly in the first half let themselves down because we didn't play well the Whitecaps played played us off the park at, for long spells there but uh, second half was more like the team that the Edmonton fans will see when you bring in the likes of Carlisle Mitchell Albert Watson, who is my captain, who's injured, uh, who's played over 400 games in Northern Ireland, and he's only 26. When you bring Milan, uh, the Chris de Guise, the young Canadian centre-back as well, who didn't play today, when you bring them into this environment every day, they can't help but learn. So I think the future of, of our young Canadian players that we have with us, who will get an opportunity to play, uh, is very good. But Milan has a fabulous upside, and just it's just now developing his football knowledge you know. so that's yeah I'm really really pleased about Milan and uh, I think he's got a bright future thanks a lot you're okay, very thanks welcome so much. good luck yeah, there thanks guys I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what Colin Miller's going to do in Edmonton I, I think one thing you can be sure of is the team's going to have a bit of fire a bit of passion behind them this year and that can only be good after the way things worked out last year what are you expecting Miller to bring to Edmonton can he turn them around this season from from the last place team that they were last year 
I don't think they're going to be able to do it overnight. It's it's going to it's going to take time. They have made a lot of changes. They brought a lot of new players in, a lot of young players in there. So I think I think they will it will take time. I think they will be much tougher to play against compared to last season. I didn't see all their games. Uh, I saw parts of others, and they seem like a team that uh, the opposition outmuscled and uh, kind of walked through them. So. I think that that will definitely change, especially with Colin Miller being in charge. He's going to install that into the team's mentality. Um, so that will be a big thing. I think the the NASL split season might actually play into their advantage because I think they can work out the kinks in their first half of the season, the spring season, and um, you know get come together as a team and then use that to jump forward into the fall one where they could possibly win. And then that would put them into the final championship game. And then carrying that momentum from the fall season into the championship game, they could actually uh, prove to be a team that can be be able to win it. So I think that might be an advantage for them, especially with uh, it being so many changes. They could, they might need that half season to gel and everything like that. But overall, I think it should be an exciting season for them, especially with this new coach, with the new coach uh, putting in his stamp on the team. So, I'm looking forward to it. Of course, I'm hoping that Vancouver can beat them in the Voyagers Cup. That should that should happen. Uh, but I, I think after that, I think they should be able to uh, do well and, and compete in the NASL. Now, we touched upon during the interview the, the strangeness that the NASL is going to be this season with the the split, the, the first part of the season, the second part of the season. It's interesting that they're doing it. I think it's a very strange thing that they're doing and I, I can only see a lot of downsides for it. But, I mean, who knows? It's could be something innovative that, that works out, but only if you're going to have a really close season and there's going to be a number of teams competing. Any team that's struggling or left adrift, I really fear for what kind of attendances they are, are going to actually bring in. But who knows? Maybe NASL have stumbled across an innovative idea that's going to take football in North America by storm. We wish them well. Hope it's a great season. Hope it's an entertaining season. A competitive season that has all the teams really challenging both halves of the season to the very end. Get the crowd figures in that they need. The crowd figures in that they deserve. And for us watching on the streams at home, let's see some really good football. We want to wish FC Edmonton all the best for this season ahead. Obviously in every game apart from the one against the Whitecaps. But we're going to be keeping a close eye on them this year and hoping to add a little bit more Eddie's coverage to AFTN. So watch the blog for that. So there's still a little bit of time left in the podcast and that means it's time for our bucket list. No new topic for the bucket list this week. Instead, we're going to revisit the one we covered last week. Which football stadiums around the world would you most like to visit and see a football match in before you kick the bucket? Steve and me gave the ones on our bucket list last week and we asked for input from you, the listeners. One listener I knew would just have to share what was on his bucket list was Devin Rowcliffe. Now, Devin will be a familiar name and face to many listening to this show, especially those in Vancouver. He's a long-time Whitecaps fan, Southsider, supporter of the Voyagers, lover of non-league football and editor of Groundhopping Canada. 
the blog dedicated to embracing and sharing the joys of football stadiums in Canada from MLS to non-league. So we sat down with Devon to have a chat about what football stadiums are on his bucket lists. Now with someone as passionate about going to football grounds as him and myself, it was obviously going to end up as a really big discussion. So we're going to run this in two parts. This week we're going to look at the grounds which Devon really wants to visit and he's going to tell us why. And next week we're going to chat about some of the grounds which he's already been to, but he feels that are must-sees for football fans. So we'll kind of cover those and what makes them so special. So Devon, thanks for joining us. And tell us what football grounds are on your bucket list. Thanks for having me on, Michael. In terms of my bucket list of grounds that I want to visit, I have quite a long list, but they're all what you'd call crackers, so I'll go through them all quickly. I've categorized them by subject to make it a bit more logical. I'll also post this list on AFTN's CanadianSoccerNews.com website, perhaps in the comment section so that your listeners can have a look themselves if they fancy any of them. So you were mentioning last week uh, Chesterfield's former ground, Saltergate, and uh, how old it was, and it was a pity that you never got to visit. So the first category of grounds that I really want to see are what I'd call endangered grounds, grounds that are likely to disappear within the next few years. And oddly enough, all four of the grounds that I'm most interested in seeing in terms of endangered grounds are all in London, England. So the first one would be Upton Park, the home of West Ham United. The club's going to be moving to the London Olympic Stadium for the 2016-17 season. Personally, I think they're a bit mad to move to a huge bowl with a running track that frankly reminds me a bit of BC Place, but there you go. So that's one. A second endangered ground in London would be Brisbane Road, home of Leighton Orient FC. Orient were also bidding to move into the London Olympic Stadium, but they've failed. Um, there, that particular ground, Brisbane Road, the East Stand is an absolute beaut. Some parts are still wooden from 1937, and the roof is supported by pillars. Uh, another old endangered ground would be Griffin Park, which hosts Brentford FC. It's a unique ground in that there's a pub in all four corners of the stadium. Uh, the rich owner has bought land elsewhere, so it's likely that they're going to be in a new stadium for 2016, much like West Ham. And a, a last one, uh, endangered ground in London, would be Underhill Stadium, home of Barnet FC. They've only got two home games left, and then they're going to be moving because the chairman of the club and the Barnet Borough Council can't come to an agreement. So unfortunately, Barnet are going to have to leave the borough, and they're going to be moving to the southwest. So just two games left, sadly, at Underhill Stadium. So that's one category, endangered grounds. Another category would be old grounds. Um, The oldest ground in the world, actually, is called Sandygate Road. It's in Crosspool, a suburb of Sheffield in South Yorkshire. And they're the home of, or it is the home of Hallam FC. And that's the oldest ground in the world. It was built in 1860, which hosts the second oldest club in the world. So that's another interesting one. In terms of old stands, because sometimes you have grounds that are old, but all the stands have been updated. In terms of the stands that still exist, the really old stands, the oldest one, I would say, is probably the Wellesley Recreation Ground in Great Yarmouth, a host of Great Yarmouth Town FC. The grandstand is believed to be the world's oldest football stand still in regular use, having been built in 1892. And the ground itself is just a short stroll from the Great Yarmouth Beach. Another old stand, Blundell Park in northeast Lincolnshire, home to Grimsby Town. The main stand dates from 1901. Uh, unfortunately, only the central part of the stand is still original, the rest having been modified in some way. And actually, you can see the Humber estuary from behind it if you stand in the opposite stand. 
Another old stand, Hillsborough, Sheffield Wednesday, would be the South Stand, constructed 1913 to 1915. Uh, the football ground guide says of Hillsborough that it's probably the best preserved ground in professional football, uh, that this is, quote, a sheer relic for the connoisseur. Sadly, much of the South Stand has been updated, but it still has its veneer, so it's worth going to see. And another old one, this one also in non-league, is called the Pole Grove in Bexhill-on-Sea in East Sussex, home to Bexhill United. We've got a very charming main stand, a mock Tudor brick and timber built grandstand, which was opened in 1929. So that's another category, old stands. Uh, another one would be sta uh, grounds that are near castles or fortresses. And I'm getting a bit obscure now into grounds that aren't even really grounds. Some of these are just parks, but they're absolutely fantastic if you have a look at them. So one of them is the Bamberg Village Pitch in Northumberland. It's right beside the Bamberg Castle. Uh, Earl's Orchard Playing Fields in Richmond, North Yorkshire, home of non-league side Richmond Town FC. Absolutely fantastic right behind or below, I should say, an old grey castle. A third one would be Mill Road, which is home to Arundel FC in South Downs, West Sussex. Uh, Arundel Castle's in the background there. And in Italy, the fortress of Montalcino in Siena, Tuscany, has a ground right beside it as well, or at least a playing field. That would be an absolutely amazing place to have a game. So that's one category, or another category, beside castles or fortresses. Another one would be beside mountains or hills. There's one in Wales called, I have no idea how to pronounce this, I'll try, Eitraith, which is translated into English as the beach. So that's in Porthmadog, in Gwynedd, Wales, home of Porthmadog FC. And it's right beside a mountain of the Snowdonia Mountains to the north. A uh, second one would be Claggan Park in Fort William, Lockerbie Highland. Or sorry, yeah, that's right. In Scotland, the home of Fort William FC. And that ground is tucked away at the end of an industrial estate at the foothills of the Ben Nevis, which is the highest mountain on British Isles. So it's not on the main mountain, but as the mountain chain works its way down and you get to the foothills, the ground is tucked right into the foothills there. Another one is the Crouch in Seaford, East Sussex, home of Seaford Town FC. And that ground is near the hills of the South Downs, just a 10-minute walk from the English Channel. Now, I'm pretty sure we're going to have people listening to this going, OK, you guys are crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about here. But from the ones that you've listed so far, Devin, I've been to two of them. Um, from the ones that you've also listed there, it's, there's a few that I really fancy going to see and... Hopefully I'm not the only one listening to this thinking, you know, this would be really good to go and see some of these grounds. The two that I've been to, I've been to Upton Park. I grew up being a West Ham fan as well as East Fife. Don't think it had anything to do with East and West, but went to see them uh, play at Upton Park and wonderful ground. Really sad to see that they're moving to the Olympic Stadium. It just, it just seems completely pointless to me. It's just another horrible example of modern football trying to get as many people in a stadium, make as much money as possible. And the other one I've been to see is Fort Williams Ground, Claggan Park. Lovely setting. Not really much of a ground, it's more just a field with a couple of sort of dugouts and that's pretty much it from all, all I really remember. I think there was a stand, I can't even remember that. East Five played there in a pre-season friendly and they made us really hospitable. It was a wonderful trip up. Great day out. Fantastic. So, Maybe trying to move away from some of your more obscure ones there. Who would you say is your top five grounds that's on your bucket list just now? So in terms of my top five grounds that I'd like to go to, a little bit less obscure now, well, moderately, number five would be the Westwood Recreation Ground, also known as Moon Park, which is in Bemerton, Salisbury, England. 
home of Bemerton Heath Harlequins FC, non-league club. And that's a ground that's surrounded by massive bushes on all three sides, up to 40 feet tall, with a funny little building in the east end. Number four, in terms of top five grounds internationally that I'd like to see, would be the Sparkasen Erzbiger Stadium. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. That translates from German as the Sparkasen Ore Mountain Stadium. That's home to FC Erzbiger and the two Bundesliga. And that ground is up in a mountain, surrounded by forest with standing terraces. Looks great. So, top five internationally. Number three, I'm probably going to butcher this as well. Uh, it's A Molini in the Faroe Islands. It's a 1,000-seat stadium where the Faroe Islands national team plays. And it's on the extreme northern edge of the tiny, uh, the main island near the tiny village of Aoi. I probably butchered that as well. Forgive me. Number two, top five international grounds, Muju Public Sports Ground, also known as the Muju Wisteria Vine Sports Ground. Tiny little ground built by the local council. There's only five rows of seating, but it's a football-specific ground. And interestingly enough, it has long-stemmed woody vines that hang on trellises above the seating. And that the vines themselves and their leaves serve as the covering. In the summer, the purple wisteria flowers bloom throughout the ground, and it looks absolutely amazing. And number one ground I'd like to visit internationally would be the Ottmar Hitzfeld Gaspan Arena in the Swiss Alps. It's the highest elevated pitch in Europe. It's a small pitch. It only can fit seven aside matches, but is perhaps the most stunning scenery of any football venue in the world. So a little closer to home, top five grounds in Canada and the U.S. I'd like to visit. Number five would be Charleston Battery. They have the first soccer-specific ground in Canada, U.S. Number four would be Sporting Park of... Uh, Sporting Kansas City and MLS. Number three would be San Jose Earthquake Stadium, which is being built now and will be available for the 2014 MLS season. Number two would be the Pittsburgh Riverhounds new stadium, which is quite small and built on the cheap end, but the venue is fantastic. It's tucked right up against the river, and from the main stand you can see the skyline of downtown Pittsburgh. It looks really nice, and that opens this season, 2014. Sorry, 2013. The number one ground in the Canada, U.S. I'd like to go visit would be Lansdowne Park Stadium in Ottawa, which is currently under construction due to open in 2014. Looking forward to going there to watch a Voyagers Cup game. And locally, top three grounds I'd like to visit locally. Uh, well, let's say regionally. Number three would be the Tacoma Stadium Bowl. Now, this is actually a gridiron football ground, but PDL matches have been played here in the past by Tacoma team. It was built in 1910, and it's next to the Majestic Stadium High School which is meant to resemble a French chateau. Um, it was originally meant to be a luxury hotel looking like a French chateau, but those plans fell through, through and it became a high school. And it's actually a historical landmark with conical spires, just like a castle. And so it's quite funny to see. And not only is there that old building, which is more than 100 years old, but the bowl itself opens on the end, so you have fantastic views of the water. So you can see Commencement Bay and the Puget Sound as well as this old French chateau-looking building. So that's number three locally originally, is the Tacoma Stadium Bowl. Number two would be Cleveland Park. So that's a local ground. In the Vancouver Metro Soccer League, there's a club in the Masters Third Division called Maplewood United, and they play up near the Cleveland Dam. There's a park that's just about a block away. And especially if you see the ground from aerial photos, it looks fantastic near the dam there. And the number one stadium I'd like to visit Locally would be Queen's Park Stadium in New Westminster. That's over a century old as well. And although it was opened as a baseball stadium 
there are games played there in the Vancouver Metro Metro Soccer League. Um, there is the Sapperton Rovers that play there, usually on Friday nights in the Masters Division. But I think there's also going to be a Kalsa in the PCSL, the summer-based PCSL, playing there this summer. And what's interesting about that ground is it has a really old wooden stand on the third baseline that you really only see these types of stands in the UK. So it's really interesting. So those are the grounds that I want. Fantastic stuff, Devin. I really hope that we've got people still listening at this point because I know this is an obscure subject and lots of people, especially over in North America, have no interest at all about ground hopping. I was really hoping when you listed all your top fives and top threes that I could say, oh yeah, I've been there, been there. But you kind of outdid me in that. Can't say I've been to any of them. After hearing you, I want to go to them, but at the moment, no, I, I haven't been to any of them. Hopefully, I'm going to get to Queen's Park, though, during the PCSL season this year. After you posting pictures up on, the, I think it was the Southsiders Forum, uh, off this stadium, really want to go see Queen's Park, so maybe we can go take a Kelsa game in together. So thanks for doing part one of the bucket list there, Devon. And as we say, next week we will continue this with a look at some of the favourite grounds that Devon has been to on his travels. And if you want to share your thoughts on what football grounds you'd like to go to, send us your bucket list. So in other soccer news in BC, uh, the BC Provincial Cup draw occurred uh, this long weekend. Um, are there any matches that intrigue you and uh, what's some of the things you're looking forward to uh, this year in the Provincial Cup? Well, on paper, there there definitely seems to be quite a few tasty games, as I, I would describe them. In the B Cup, there's an all-Richmond clash between the, the two top teams from the Richmond Senior League, Richmond Athletics and Richmond All Blacks. So it's a shame they kind of have to meet in the first round, but that, that's going to be an absolute cracker of a match. Looking at the A Cup, few really interesting ties there. And you've got last year's winners, um, Surrey United Firefighters. They're not seeded this year, but they're going to face the VISL Division 1 champs, Saanich Fusion. That should be a really good game. Match of the round could be the, the seeded VMSL Premier Champs, Columbus FC. They're at home to... The Fraser Valley League, Pakenham Cup winners, Abbotsford Magnus and Forge United. So that should be a really good game. Also the VMSL Imperial Cup winners, Delta United Hurricanes. They're seeded and they're at home to West Van FC, another VMSL team. So that, that could be another cracker. West Van have really good cup pedigree and that they've played really well, but facing a difficult away game in the first round. So it's going to be some interesting games. I really encourage people to... Check AFTN, see what's happening. Check the VMSL site, check the BC Soccer site, BC Soccer Web as well. Find out what games are coming up. Go out and see some of them because you're, you really won't be disappointed in what you're seeing. I saw a lot last year. It was the first time I'd taken the cup in. And I know you saw quite a few as well, Steve. What are you looking forward to this year? This season I'm going to try to get out to more matches. Uh uh, last year, uh, basically, there were a few games I watched in Surrey um, and, and Richmond, and I, uh, I also caught a, one game in North Van. But this year, I want to uh, see as many games as possible. And, you know, uh, but I'll probably, the first couple rounds, stick to 
uh, Surrey Delta, Richmond, Langley area, and then probably try to expand from there as this, as the uh, get closer to the final. I most likely will not go to the final uh, this year, uh, but uh, I I can't wait till it starts, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to go to the finals this year either. They're being held in Victoria on Saturday, May the 11th. Whitecaps at home to LA Galaxy that day, so unfortunately we'll cover as much as we can of the final without being there, but we'll have a really good roundup of games on a weekly basis on AFTN. The Cup kicks off on the weekend of April 12th, 13th and 14th, and if you want to get more information and see the first round draw for the the A Cup, you can find that on AFTN at the moment, AFTN 2 to be exact, and we'll have all the details there. Well, that's just about all for episode two of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I've been Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. Thanks for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week. If you want to read our blog, remember you can find us on Canadian Soccer News by visiting AFTN.ca. You can find me on Twitter, at AFTN Canada, and you can find Steve at Whitecaps Beat. So we'll bid you a fond farewell... And we're going to leave you with something a little bit special. In fact, it is the specials. And their closing song from their show on Friday night at the Commodore Ballroom. Fantastic show. Loved every minute of it. And the next night at the Vogue as well. So, why don't you enjoy it as well? Hope you've enjoyed the show. And we'll catch you next week. Bye for now.